0: text for the sermon this morning comes from Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. As we've been working through the book of Philippians, we've seen uh, Paul bring out numerous principles that Christians should follow. And we see three particular principles drawn out from our text this morning. So let's turn our Minds and our hearts, the reading of God's word as we find it in Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. This is God's wholly inspired word. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Jordan Peterson is a famous Canadian clinical psychologist. He is of more recent fame due to his socially conservative stance against Canadian legislation that said you cannot discriminate against people based upon their gender identity or expression. In other words, this, this legislation dictated that you had to call people by their preferred pronouns. Jordan Peterson has been speaking against such legislation because it is an attack on freedom of speech, not necessarily because he has moral qualms or concerns about such language. But Jordan Peterson has also written a book called Twelve Rules for Life, and in this book he presents principles that should guide one's life. They are to live a happy, prosperous life. However, these rules proceed from a very secular, evolutionary mindset. And while Jordan Peterson does borrow some principles from a, a Judeo Christian standpoint, he's not interested in presenting uh, principles that are that flow from a Christ-centered life, a Christ-honoring life. It's merely uh, uh, generic, secular principles that he presents. However, in Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21, Paul really gives us three principles for Christ-centered pilgrimage. These principles are certainly not exhaustive for the Christian life, but they are three important and necessary principles that encourage us as pilgrims to grow in our sanctification. We, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are not to live as citizens of this world in uh, our time of Sunday school this morning, we talked. A little bit about Abraham and Sarai and and their pilgrimage. And, And we as Christians view this world not as our home, but we look forward to that city whose builder and maker is God. And as we live in this life, we are to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking the things of Christ and not our own things. And as we continue this pilgrimage, we must follow godly examples. We must mourn with a gospel-driven sorrow, and we must walk as citizens of heaven. These are the three principles that help direct and guide the believer in his pilgrimage. The first principle for the pilgrim is that we must walk following the examples of godly men and women. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and know those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Many of us are familiar with the concept of job shadowing. Job shadowing is when a new employee follows a more experienced employee as he goes about his job. This is done to teach and train the new employee employee in the work that he will one day do by himself. When Christ trained the disciples, the disciples followed him on a day-to-day basis. They heard the sermons Christ preached. They saw the signs and wonders he performed. They ate and drank with him. They fellowshiped with him. They prayed with him. The disciples were really job shadowing Christ. uh, And they were doing this in in a sanctified sense. And Paul urges us here in Philippians 3 to have such a sanctified job shadowing. As we live the life of faith, we are to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And what a man to imitate! This man was a man who lived a life sold out for Christ. He would not be content unless he was following Christ. Paul loved Christ such that he was willing to endure beatings, prison, a stoning. Free shipwrecks, constantly in perils, constantly being persecuted by Jews and Gentiles. Paul was willing to endure weariness and toil, sleeplessness, hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness because of his love for Christ. But he also endured these because he had a deep love for the church. And he desired the churches to grow in an understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul was a man who came preaching not with the excellency of speech. But he came with one desire. That desire was that they might know Jesus Christ and him crucified. We are to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, but we are also to imitate those who so walk. We are not just to imitate Paul, but also Timothy, Epaphroditus, and any other person who with steadfast desire seeks the things of Jesus Christ. And you are to imitate, Imitate those who follow Christ with a passion and zeal that is in accordance with the testimony of Scripture. You are to learn from the example of faithful saints, watching and observing how they conduct themselves in this world. And you are to do likewise. So learn from godly saints how they rest upon Christ in times of trials and difficulties. Learn from godly saints how they fly to Christ in times of intense temptation. Learn from other believers how they submit to their king in the battle against sin. As much as there is a savor of Christ in other believers, follow them. As you live your life on this earth, as you live as a pilgrim, do you have your eyes fixed on a godly saint that you are seeking to follow? Do you spend time with that person? I encourage you to to make it a practice to follow a godly saint, spending time with him or her, learning all that you can of Christ from their example. And this is one of the the many arguments for joining to a true church. God did not intend for believers to the islands to themselves. He did not intend for believers to have a lone ranger type mentality where it is just the believer and God or the believer and God's word. Nor did God intend for believers to stay at home and watch church via uh, a live stream yes that that might be necessary in times of of sickness or uh, due to the infirmities of old age but that is not to be the normal practice of God's church the Holy Spirit does not just effectually call someone doesn't just uh, save someone he saves them into a church and in that church, the Holy Spirit grants a variety of gifts for the growth and advocation of the body. And it is in the church that we can follow the pattern of godly men and women. It is in the church where we can be encouraged in our running after Christ. It is in the church where we can be warned against specific sins we might be struggling with. It is in the church where we can be comforted with the comfort of Christ and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And the church must throw off selfishness. It is a selfish Christian who does not want to be part of a visible church. It is a prideful Christian does not think that he needs other believers to encourage and hold him accountable. It is an unloving Christian who does not look out for the interest of others in the church. Sermon audio and social media are not substitutes for the church. And so, Let us follow the example of godly men and women as they seek after Christ. And as we follow the example of godly men and women, we are to have a gospel-driven sorrow. A gospel-driven sorrow. This is the second principle that pilgrims must follow. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This wasn't the first time that Paul had given warning about such people. He had told them this often. This was a warning that they needed to hear again and again. That they were enemies, that there were enemies of the cross of Christ. One of the great temptations in the Christian life is the temptation to set your mind on the things of this world. There are many Christians, falsely so-called, who have made gods of their bellies, who have set their minds on the things of this world. These people glory in their shame. You notice that there are some words italicized, if you're reading from the New King James Version, and the the literal translation of this phrase uh, in, in verse 18 uh, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is rebellion, whose glory is in their shame. The literal translation there is they glory in their shame. In other words, they don't just do sinful acts. They go about bragging about their sinfulness. These are those who boast in their sin. They don't boast in Christ. They boast in their wickedness. These are those who claim some knowledge of Christ, but want you to affirm them in their wickedness. These are enemies of the cross of Christ. You'll recall that earlier in Philippians three that Paul has spoken against the legalistic Judaizers those who contended that you had to obey uh, specific rites and rituals of the Old Testament if you were to be a true Christian. These were, these were enemies of the cross of Christ in the sense that they denied the, the complete atonement of Christ for their sins. They added works to Christ's work now Paul moves on to talk about those who are antinomians. That is, those who are living lives that were contrary to the moral law of God. These were the type of people who said, We have freedom from the ceremonial law, but also from the moral law of God. These were the type of people who, who sinned so that grace might abound they the type of people who said, Christ has forgiven my sin, so I'll just go and keep on sinning anyway. It has all been covered by the blood of Christ. These are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now they counted Christ's sacrifice as nothing. They lessened the seriousness of sin. And by their sinful actions, they spat upon Christ's sufferings. Now, earlier in Philippians, in Philippians one and two, Paul called the people at Philippi, called the church at Philippi, to zealously pursue their own sanctification. In Philippians 2, verse 12, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But these enemies of the cross of Christ were not interested in their sanctification, and that speaks mightily to the state of their hearts. One who has been truly saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, one who has experienced the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, will be one who desires to grow in sanctification and who actually grows in sanctification. Justification, that legal declaration. That act of God, whereby he pronounces a sinner to be righteous only for the sake of Christ's righteousness imputed to him and received by faith alone, is always accompanied by sanctification. That is, justification is always accompanied. Accompanied by a desire to grow in obedience to God's law. And an actual demonstration of that growth in obedience. James says that faith without works is dead. These enemies of the cross were dead. Yes, they were alive in a bodily sense. But they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And they were headed To a deadly destruction. We can be antinomian. When we take a light view. Of our besetting sins. When we are content. With the measure of our sanctification. Those times when we sin. Sin boldly. Taking little heed to our conscience. Screaming at us. That this is wrong. To we love the sins so much that we would rather set our eyes on the things of this world than set our eyes on Christ. We believe that we are often legalistic with the sins that we are good fighting at. but We are antinomian with our frequent besetting sins. We need to take this warning that Paul gives in our text. Paul did not give this warning frequently because it was a pet subject of his. Paul gave this warning frequently because of the very real danger that this type of mentality poses for the Christian pilgrimage. I also want to say that if you are struggling with sin, do not necessarily think that you are an enemy of the cross of Christ A struggle with sin does not mean immediately that you are an enemy of the cross of Christ. If it did, it would mean that we are all enemies. But when Paul is talking about these enemies of the cross of Christ, he is speaking of those who are very evidently not bearing fruit and were exceptionally loose with the moral law of God. These are enemies because... They made light of Christ's sufferings, taking the salvation promised and running headlong into grosser depths of depravity because they thought they were saved. These were enemies because they thought they could have both salvation and sin. Yet as pilgrims in this life, We are to have a gospel-driven sorrow for such people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Our initial gut reaction when we hear the word enemy is is to put our guard up, is to set to war, to go to battle. Our initial reaction is not necessarily one of sorrow. Yet, if we are truly loving our enemies, as Christ calls us to in Matthew 5, verse 44, we will weep for them. Christ prayed for those who crucified him. Do you pray for the enemies of the cross of Christ? Or do you just rail against them on Facebook or Twitter, gossip about them and their latest actions to your friends? Let us weep for the enemies of the cross of Christ. For their end is destruction. Their end is not just annihilation. It's not a, just as though these people are going to cease existing at some point. No, their end is perpetual destruction. In the torments of hell. Yet we live a culture that would sooner mourn for the death of an animal than the life of souls spending an eternity in hell. And we too, like Jonah, would often love things more than people. Just as Jonah loved the plant that provided him shade more than an invite, so too we would mourn more for the things we lose than the people who are headed to destruction. So let's mourn. Let's weep for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And notice what a contrast. The death of a believer is that to an unbeliever. When a believer dies, we as fellow believers have an opportunity to mourn the loss of their life. They are no longer with us. We can no longer enjoy fellowship in this life with those who have died. We can no longer worship and glorify God together in this life. Yet as we mourn their passing, we do not do so as those with no hope. We have the glorious hope of the resurrection of the body to look forward to. We have the amazing, triumphant hope that our bodies will be resurrected And we will be with them again. Christ will transform our lowly bodies and cause them to be conformed to his glorious body. And we will spend eternity with them in the bliss and joy of heaven. Yet when an unbeliever dies, we weep as those without hope. When an unbeliever dies, there is no hope for their souls. The Lord gave them opportunity in this life to repent and turn from their sin. Yet they spurned the Lord's free officer of salvation again and again. They refused the heed. They refused to heed the call to come to Christ, whose yoke is easy and burden is light would not put their faith in the one Savior who alone delivers, and for their sin they will suffer the eternal judgment of God. Notice what Paul says in Philippians three, whose end is destruction these enemies of a cross of Christ, their end is destruction. As we walk the life of faith, as pilgrims, let us mourn those who are enemies of the cross of Christ while there is yet hope for their conversion. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in their life, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would know the beauty of having their sins forgiven, that they would know the joy of coming to a Savior whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. The third principle for the pilgrim is that we should walk as citizens of heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. The enemies of the cross of Christ walk as citizens of this world. But lovers of the cross of Christ walk as citizens of heaven. You, as believers, are to live as citizens of heaven. You may live in America. You may dress like Americans. You may eat the food of Americans. You may sing the national anthem. You may work for the American government. You may pay taxes to the American government. But America will not last forever. In an outward sense, you may be citizens of the United States, but that is only a very temporary citizenship. Perhaps I can put it in some earthly terms. I recently became a permanent resident of the United States, and as a permanent resident, I'm not a citizen of the United States, yet I have various privileges that are the same as a citizen of the United States. I get to pay taxes. I, I uh, have to obey the laws of the United States. I uh, get the privilege to work in the United States. I get various privileges that uh, come to citizens of the United States. Yet, the United States is not my home country. Canada is my home country. Similarly, you in a spiritual sense are just permanent residents of the United States. Your true citizenship is not in the United States. It is in heaven. Your life on this earth is but a small dot on the infinite expanse of eternity. Do you live in recognition of that understanding? As you live, As a citizen of the United States, are you living as a true citizen of heaven? Your inheritance is in heaven. Your king is in heaven. Your savior is in heaven. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That is one reason the death of a saint is so precious is a reminder to us that this life is not all that there is. It is a reminder that this life is exceedingly temporary. When a saint dies, we are reminded that our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in heaven. We are headed on our way to our true homeland, our true country. The Lord promised Abraham that he would live to a good old day age and he would die and go rest with his fathers. That is our hope as well. And living as a citizen of heaven means that we do not just look forward to the day of our death. Sometimes as Christians we can say things like, I, I long to be with the Lord. Or when we are comforting uh, believers, with the loss of a loved one, we can say something like, "She is in a, a better place now." That that is certainly true. I'm I'm not denying that. Once we die, our souls immediately leave our bodies and go and be with the Lord. That is a great blessing and a great comfort that the believer has. However, that is not the end. That is simply the intermediate state. There is so much more to look forward to. And Paul speaks to this when he talks about the resurrection of the body in our text. It is the resurrection of the body which will be that great consummation. It is that which we set our eyes on. When our body will be made like the glorious body of our Savior. I bring this up in particular because the secular world we live in has a very negative view of the body. And we can be tempted as Christians to have that same hatred of our bodies. You might be tempted to think that that the culture we live in does love the body because of the abundance of, of sensual and carnal pleasures that culture offers. It offers limited Limitless sexual pleasures through the mediums of internet pornography. It offers continuous sumptuous food through fast food or the grocery stores. But the world has a very sad understanding of the body. It hates the body. And and this hatred is seen in that the body is something that needs to be manipulated and tortured to conform to one's gender, one's perceived gender identity. The body is something that needs to be attached from the emotions of men and women so that they can survive a hookup culture. Don't worry about the fact that you're having an emotional, difficult time in this hookup culture. Just enjoy all the the sex that you can. World hates the body. The body is something that needs to be pleasured to the fullest extent with no heed given to the shame and guilt that comes from sin. And as Christians, we believe that God has created all things good. The body is part of the good creation of God. And Paul does not have a low view of the body here in our text. Yes, Paul says that we have a lowly body. A body literally of humiliation. But it is lowly and humiliated because of sin. Our bodies feel the effects of sin. Of the curse of sin. Bodily weakness. And frailty are a result of the fall. The mental effects that aging has on older parents is a result of the fall. Sickness, disease, and death are all effects of the curse of sin on our bodies. And there should be reminders to us of the devastating eternal effects of sin. And it is in this sense that we have lowly bodies. Yet Christ, who is a complete Savior, not just a Savior of the soul, but also a Savior of the body, will give us glorious bodies at his second coming. And we are to walk as citizens knowing this blessed truth. Walk as citizens knowing that your Savior has purchased an amazing, fulsome, heavenly reward for you. You will not always experience the pain, the weakness, the frailty of your bodies. But you will know what it is to have a glorious body. And your hope for that is in the perfect work of Jesus Christ, who even now is subduing all things to himself. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we read in our call to worship this morning. He is the risen and ascended King who reigns over all the principalities and powers of the earth. And he surely has the power to transform our lowly bodies into a truly glorious body. So let us live as pilgrims on this earth, walking not as citizens of this earth, but as citizens of heaven. Let's look forward to that day when we will know the joy of having a resurrected body. Conclusion, practicing these three principles of pilgrims helps us to ever focus on the reality that our citizenship is in heaven. As we follow the example of godly saints, we are testifying to that reality that Christ has died for us, that he has justified us. In a small testament of our thanksgiving. For that salvation is when we strive to walk in obedience to Christ's commandments. Learning how to do that by watching other saints. And we must do so mourning the enemies of the cross of Christ. Praying for their salvation. Recognizing that their end is destruction. As we mourn for the enemies of the cross of Christ. We are watching against that temptation that we have as well to make gods of our bellies. To make gods of the things of this world. So let's walk as citizens knowing that our end is not destruction. Our end is not our bellies. Our end is not the things of this world. But our end is is the glory of the resurrection. Let us walk knowing that our citizenship is in heaven and so glorify our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you as humble pilgrims, thanking you, Lord, that this life is not all that there is. We give you thanks that our citizenship is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that as we walk as pilgrims and strangers in this world, that we would not be led away by diverse temptations. Help us, Lord, to grow in our love for you as we follow the examples of godly saints Help us, Lord, to long more and more for that day when we will be with you in our resurrected bodies. And Lord, we pray, we mourn for those who do not know you. Lord, we pray that the enemies of the cross of Christ will come to a saving faith in you. Pray, O Lord, that your gospel would work mightily in their hearts, that more and more people would testify to the glory of salvation in Jesus Christ and might praise your great and glorious name. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond to the preaching of the word by turning in our psalm books and singing psalm. 119, the B selection. Psalm 119, the B selection. This psalm asks that question, how shall a young man cleanse his way? We can ask that similar question, how can a pilgrim cleanse his way? How can a, a pilgrim learn how to walk in this life? And the answer is, let him take heed to the word of God. Let him focus his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him with all his heart seek God. So let's sing Psalm 119, the B selection.